Well, I want you to open your Bibles with me today to 2 Thessalonians. We've been walking through God's Word. We started in Genesis back in January. We're marching toward Revelation in December. And by the time that this year is over, we will have walked through the entirety of God's Word. Not everything in God's Word, but we will take, us a, take on a journey. We've been on a journey all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason that we're doing that is because I just simply believe what God's Word said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that God's Word is living and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And when I see what's going on in our world today, what I just simply believe is that we need more of God's Word in this crazy world. That we need to see who God is and what God 2,000 years ago breathed out into the lives, into the hearts, and into the hands of men who wrote God's Word. That these are words that we need to live by, that these are words we need to stand by, these are words that we need to walk through the trials of life, like hanging on to. And so today's letter that we're going to spend time looking at is a letter that, again, God gave for that very purpose. As I shared with you last week, so Paul writes this letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's a church that he founded on a second missionary journey. He heard what God was doing there. You know what took place in Acts chapter 17 when, when Paul arrived in Thessalonica after he'd been in Philippi and then through Amphipolis and down to Apollonia and then down into Thessalonica. All the challenge that he'd faced, the opposition he'd experienced. He walks into Thessalonica and as Acts chapter 17 tells us that he walked into that place and for three Sabbaths he went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them on the scriptures. He shared the gospel with them as was his custom. It's like that's just what he did. Wherever he went, he preached the gospel. Wherever he went, he shared the truth of what Jesus did when he died and when he rose again. And so he did that, and obviously when he did that, man, lives were changed. And in Thessalonica, a church was born. He planted that church. Now, he was only there for about three and a half weeks because in that short, brief visit during that journey when he arrived in Thessalonica, Obviously, what took place as it did in Philippi, like the opposition came. People came after him. They wanted to stop him. They wanted to get him to stop preaching about Jesus. And so, it tells us that literally they got an angry mob together. They came to the house of Jason and they, they grabbed the people and they brought them out into the, to the city square there. And the people in opposition to the gospel, in opposition to Paul, they made a statement about Paul, which I believe is one of the, the, the greatest compliments that you could ever imagine. They brought them out and said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And man, I pray that, man, one day that could be said of us in this room. These who have turned the world upside down. And what that reminds us of is this, is that even people who don't believe the Word of God and don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you are faithful to His Word, even they will recognize that we turn the, the world upside down through preaching the gospel. Man, I want that to be said of us. And so Paul, he arrives there, he, goes to, he leaves town, he heads out. And as he goes out, that church begins to grow, it begins to thrive, people are getting saved, lives are being changed. But then... Paul begins to hear of some challenges that are taking place in the church. Now, we talked about one letter that he wrote last week, but then after that letter arrived, it was interesting between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, there was actually another letter that arrived in the church at Thessalonica. And no, this is not like one and a half Thessalonians. Like this was something, a letter that came from somebody who was not even Paul. But yet it, it conveyed the idea that it was from Paul. And what it brought back to the church at Thessalonica was false doctrine. 
It brought lies to that church. In fact, if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, Paul writing, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Do not believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. So Paul talks about that letter, that a letter arrived and began teaching them some bad things about doctrine. Talking about how the day of the Lord had arrived, and maybe, just maybe, they had missed out on what Paul wrote in his previous letter in chapter 4, verse 13, when he talks about how that, that moment when the rapture comes, when Christ gathers together His church, and, and honestly, Paul knew that this could leave some people discouraged. Some people who claimed the name of Christ, that it could leave them wondering, like, did I miss it? Did something happen here and like, like I wasn't paying attention, maybe I didn't do it right. And so he knew that that false letter, that false doctrine, that false teaching would come in and it would corrupt the church at Thessalonica. Now make no mistake that if that false doctrine can come into the church 2,000 years ago and can impact that church then, don't you dare believe that it can't come into our church and corrupt today. Because we're living in a time where things are more difficult than they were back then. Oftentimes we look at the times of the Bible and we think, man, it was really rough. It was awful, horrible what they faced back in those days. Hey, make no mistake, they didn't face anything like we face today. Times are worse today than they were then. And Paul even talked about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4, we'll get to in a few weeks, where Paul makes it clear like in the last days, man, it's going to get really bad. It's going to look a lot worse than it does right now, and it goes through that long list, that laundry list of of what uh, the world is going to look like. And I'm just telling you, like, we're smack dab in the middle of it. And so if if it can affect the church then, it can affect the church now, which is why this letter is so relevant 2,000 years after it was written. And so today, like, I want to spend some time looking at what Paul wrote to encourage the church at Thessalonica so we can encourage us, because not only did he tell them, like, like, hang on there, don't you believe that junk, don't you believe that stuff, like, hold on, because what he did in this letter is he told them how. It's a short little letter, only three chapters, but in these three chapters, he made it really clear, like, here's how you can keep on keeping on. And the first thing that he taught them is that, that by living lives of thankfulness, it can produce faithfulness. And so he made it clear that thankfulness and faithfulness are, are the, the cornerstones to walking through this thing called life. Look what it says back in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, uh, verse 3, I'm sorry. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and your faithfulness and all the persecutions and the hardships that you're suffering. Now, if you go back into verse 3 where it says, we can't help but thank God, that statement there, we can't help, it's the Greek word of philo, which literally kind of conveys the idea of like, this is our duty. Like, we didn't have a choice. It's not like something that we could choose to do, something like, maybe we'll do it. Like, like, hey, we didn't have any other choice but to thank God for you. And the underlying current here, which is, by the way, that's a different greeting, a different statement than you'll find in any of Paul's other letters. Why? Because Paul wanted to convey the idea that thankfulness is not an option. Worship and praise of God is not something that, like, you know, if you have time, you do it. 
It's not like, hey, you do it on a Sunday morning and, and you spend some time together on a Sunday morning. It's good to know. He wants us to recognize that by having thankful hearts, grateful hearts, praising God in what we're going through, what it does in us is it produces the faithfulness that we're going to need for the endurance that we have to have to make it this, through this thing called life. In other words, we have to stick with God. Our thankfulness produces faithfulness, and that faithfulness is so very important, especially now. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Listen to this quote. One of the best weapons for fighting Satan is praise. In spite of his pain, Job was able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So, the next time things go wrong and you are tempted to get impatient, turn to God and give thanks. Why? Because a thankful heart produces faithfulness, and that faithfulness produces endurance. Like, it brings us through when you stick with God. And see, the problem that we have is so often in life, we try to figure out how we're going to do it on our own. We don't spend time thanking God and being grateful to God for what He's done for us because we think, hey, we can make this thing happen on our own abilities and our own talents. We walk out and we get a little bit further away from God. We think, man, hey, listen, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. I believe that. I'm saved. And now we take our salvation. We set it like a life insurance policy in our safe deposit box. And then we go on about our lives and live the way that we want to live. And then we wonder why God is not there. We sit back and say, like, God, why did you let me go through this? God, why are you putting me in this situation? God, what did you do? And it's because we have not lived our lives in a a heart of thanksgiving, of gratefulness for who God is. We try to do it on our own. Kind of reminds me of when my children were a lot younger. We were one time, Sherry and I took the kids to a park, and, and my kids, I mean, they love to go to an amusement park. All kids do. Like, they walk in, and their eyes are like, like huge, you know, looking at all the rides and all the games and all the excitement and all the fun. And then I remember Sherry and I took our kids. They were a lot younger. And, uh, Nicholas and Natalie were actually still in strollers. It was great. When kids are in strollers, like, you've got it set, man, because they can't get out. That's awesome. But Jonathan and Jessica are a little bit older. And so Jonathan and Jessica were going in, and we're walking into this amusement park. Man, they're all excited, and we're, we're going in. And, and I remember watching, because Jonathan and Jessica were so excited, so thrilled about what the day was going to hold, that they got a little bit further in front of us. And they kind of got, you know, kept on going a little bit faster than we were, and moving a little ahead of us. And, you know, the crowd, they were just kind of weaving their way through the crowd to get out ahead of us. And, and they're just going and going and going and going. And so Sherry and I decided, hey, we're just going to kind of sit back and just see, like, how far they can go on their own, right? And so what we did is we actually kind of stopped and we kind of went to the side and we kind of got behind a, like a pole or a tree or something there. And we just kind of watched as Jonathan and Jessica got further and further and further away. Now, I'm not a bad parent. We kept our eyes on them, okay? Before I get any letters, we watched them, you know. And so they get further and further, man, they're excited. They're all thrilled. They're just having so much fun, smiles on their faces. And then there came a moment when Jonathan turned around and he recognized that mom and dad weren't there anymore. And it was so fun to watch as a parent. This sounds awful. (laughs) To watch as Jonathan turns around, we're looking, he can't see us, and that smile and that, that picture of amazement that was on his face, like it quickly changed, and all of a sudden, it was like doom. It was fear. It was terror. I shouldn't have said that was fun, but it, you know, it was, it was fun watching that happen, right? 
And so all of a sudden, Jonathan and Jessica, man, they've been so excited just a couple of seconds before, like all of a sudden, man, they changed and they started crying and they were upset and they were afraid. And it was just beautiful to watch because Jonathan wraps his arm around Jessica and Jessica wraps wraps her arms around Jonathan and they're just hanging on because at that moment they realized that they were alone. Now, I'm a good dad. I caught up to them. Hey, we're right here. It's a joke. (laughs) They didn't think it was funny. Um, But I did spend the rest of the day buying them every insanely overpriced toy that I could all day long to make up for it. But, But in that moment, here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of what we do in life every single day. Like all of us, like walk through life, we get saved, we have this picture of this power of of God and the presence of God in our lives because of what he did through Christ and through his death and resurrection. But then we like start to get a little bit further out, right? We start to try to do it on our own. We kind of move further and further away from God because we got this. It's all good. We can do this on our own. We don't really need him. Like we got this thing figured out. Until we get in the midst of a crisis, until we get in the midst of a a difficult moment, until we've walked from the mountaintops down into the lowest of valleys, and then we sit back and we turn around, and just like Jonathan did at that moment, our face changes and the doom arrives, and we sit there, and here's what we do. God, why did you leave me? God, what did you do to me? God, why am I facing this situation? We wonder, where did he go? Here's the thing you've got to remember. When you live your life always grateful for what God did yesterday, you will never lose sight of where God is today. You will always keep your eyes fixed on Him no matter what. Go back to this passage it tells us in in verse 4, because we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and the hardships you're suffering. Despite what you might go through. A heart of thankfulness leads to a heart of faithfulness, and it leads to endurance. And no matter what you face, God's going to give you the victory. Because right there, persecutions and hardships, it doesn't matter what you will face. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, be thankful in everything. Why? Because that is God's will. That's God's will. And so it tells us, like, thankfulness produces faithfulness, but it also tells us in chapter 2 that faithfulness allows us to remain strong no matter what we might face, no matter when we're under attack, no matter what we're going through. Our faithfulness will help us to be strong. Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. What Paul says here, like, faithfulness to the Word of God. Be faithful to what you've heard, faithful to what you've seen, faithful to what you've experienced. Be faithful to His Word. Why? Because when you are faithful to His Word, you will be able to stand in the midst of opposition, stand in the midst of attack, and make no mistake. And in fact, we're not going to talk about it today. Spend some time reading those three chapters, and here's what you will find. Satan is on the attack. Satan is out to get all of us. There is no doubt about that. There's no question about that. He wants to take you down. But when we remember what God's Word says, we can stand firm. And that's why God's Word was given to us, to give us the picture of how to live and what to do. It's our our owner's manual. And you know what we as humans are really good at? Ignoring owner's manuals. How many of you have read the owner's manual to your car? Raise your hand right now. Anybody? Yeah, there's like eight of you. You people are weird. I'm sure you're nice. I'm sure you're good Christians. God bless you. We'll spend eternity together. But man, you're weird here, okay? 
because nobody reads their owner's manual. I've been driving now, let's see, I'm, I'm 55, I got my license when I was 16, so do the math, 39 years, is that right? Yeah. So 39 years I've been driving, I've never read my owner's manual, not once. Never have. Man, and you know what? Largely, I have been okay. Largely, I've done fine. But I remember one time, one time Sherry and I were actually out in the mountains. We were driving in the woods and, and, and driving on a, on a dirt path up at TRO, up at our camp there. And we're just kind of driving through, seeing things, kind of cool. You know, we'd just, the camp was just given to us not long before. So we're just out checking it out, right? So we're driving through there in my car, and, and there's like rocks, like lots of these real sharp rocks in there. And man, we got a flat tire. Got to be honest with you, I've never changed a flat tire in my life. I've had flat tires in my life, but I've never changed one. Because we have these things called cell phones. And so whenever it happened here, like I'd call somebody, somebody come change the tire. I've never changed the tire. Now we're out in the woods. Now there's no cell service. There's nobody else around. It's just Sherry and me. And you know what I got to do in that situation, right? In that situation, when I've got a flat tire and I'm with my wife and we're in the woods, I got to be the man, baby. I mean, I've got to like dial it up. I've got this thing under control. And so I got out of the car and I decided, man, I'm going to go out and I'll just, I'll change this tire. So I'll walk around to the back of the car and I open the back hatch of my Yukon and I lifted it up and I reach in to get the, the, the spare tire. Guess what's not there? Spare tire. Because somebody and some mechanic, some engineer somewhere decided, hey, what we ought to do is we ought to hide the spare tire in every car that we make these days. It used to be just like right back there in the back. It was just there. You knew where it was. But yet in my car, it wasn't, I had no idea where it was. So I started walking around the car. I'm looking around the car. As I walk around one side, I come over here, and there's a rock right over here about as far as from me to that beautiful little baby right there. And on that rock, there's a rattlesnake sitting on top of that rock. And it's just sitting there watching me. And I'm like, okay, I want to change this tire quick. I couldn't find the tire. And so I'm looking, I'm looking like 20 minutes. I'm trying to figure out that tire. Now, here's what's really cool. What's really cool is I'm doing that, Sherry's sitting in the car, guess what? She found where the tire was. You know why? She read the stinking owner's manual. <laughs> Women are always showing off. And so, you know, she told me what to do, we figured it out, man, we got the thing that, you know, now they have to have the, the tire magically descend from the back of the car, like, you know, from underneath, and it just shows up down there. So, we, and we got the, but here's the problem, as we're sitting there doing that, and that tire comes down, and I finally see where the tire is, I look over to that rock, guess what's not on the rock anymore? <laughs> that snake. Baby, I've never changed, no one has ever changed a tire. It was NASCAR quality changing tires in that moment. I got that tire changed and fixed, and man, we were out of there because that rattlesnake had no idea where it was. But listen, that is kind of what we do in life, right? Like that's kind of what we do all the time. We try to figure it out on our own, and we waste so much time, and listen to this, so much heartache trying to figure out how to face this thing called life on our own when God gave us His Word to tell, hey, here's all you need. This, this right here, this, this is what you need. And that's why it says in, in, in chapter 2, again, I'll read it, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. Faithfulness to the Word of God changes everything. That's why, as we read a few moments ago in verse 2 of chapter 2, don't be shaken. Have you ever felt shaken in life? I can guarantee you have. I know I have. We are shaken because we are not standing on the firm foundation of God's Word. Stand firm. And why is that so important? Well, it's easy. 
Because when our thankfulness produces faithfulness, which produces endurance, then our faithfulness produces uh, deliverance. I love that. It brings us to deliverance. In other words, hey, it shows us the way out. Anybody in life ever want, like, like, how do you get out of here? Like, what's the way out of this challenge? What's the way out of this heartache? What's the way out of this, this conflict that I'm facing? God's Word, through the faithfulness we find in it, produces deliverance. Look what it says in chapter 3 in verse 1. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us, talking about Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that the Word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Why? Verse 2, so that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you, and I love what it says next, and guard you from the evil one. Though Satan is real and he is active, God's Word and faithfulness to Him and the faithfulness of God in our lives, it will give us victory and deliverance over the very active and the very present work of Satan. 1 Peter chapter 5, it tells us how active Satan is, right? That Satan is like a lion, and he is like prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And by the way, when it says whom he may devour, like put your name in there, like he's after you. He wants to take you down. John 10.10 tells us a thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan has one mission, one idea, one job, and that is to destroy your life, and he is good at it. But you know what God's Word says? That God will protect you from the evil one. C.S. Lewis said it this way about Satan. The two mistakes that Christians make in talking about Satan are that we either joke about him or we ignore him altogether. According to this verse, neither of these is an option. Satan is a lion lion, and Satan is a thief. But what we do so often in our Christian walk is we kind of adopt this idea of Satan being some, this little red dude running around with horns and a pitchfork, and he's like, it's no big deal, and yes, he's real, but we don't have to worry about him. No, you do have to worry about him because you are not more powerful than Satan. Satan is more powerful than you, but thanks be to God that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter how strong Satan is when we stand on the faithfulness and the promises of God, Satan does doesn't have a prayer. And that's why in John chapter 16, Jesus said this in verse 33, I have overcome the world. The world's out of control. Satan is out to get us. But hey, don't worry about it because John 16, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And how did he do that? He did that by just a few days later, being willing to lay his life down on the cross for you. And make no mistake, We've all seen the movies, we've seen the pictures, we've seen the, the visual um, uh, illustration of what Christ went through when He went through those moments of the, the crown of thorns being pressed into His skull and the, and the spear being thrust into His side and the cat of nine tails ripping His skin. And we, we've all heard about how the fist beat Him mercilessly. We talk about how the nails were, were nailed into His feet and, and to His hands and make no mistake that the pain and the suffering that he experienced in that moment had nothing to do with nails, it had nothing to do with thorns, it had nothing to do with fists, it had nothing to do with weapons, it had everything to do with our sin. That's the suffering and the pain that he felt was our sin. But when he took that upon his back, 
And when he died a horrible death, and when they laid him in that tomb three days later, he walked out of that tomb. And you know what's cool? Is he left every one of those painful, horrific sins. He left them in the tomb, and he came back to life victorious over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And here's what, we can walk in victory with him. So while John 10.10 says the thief, Satan comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, Jesus goes on to say, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So here's a question for us all today. The question for us all today is just simply this. Are you living in fear and doom and pain and uncertainty and moving away from God? Or are you walking in victory, standing firm in truth, believing that God's promises are real, standing faithful, because that is where our deliverance is found? Where do you fall? Do you fall in the hopeless or in the hopeful? Do you fall in the pain? Or do you fall in the healing? Do you fall in the loss? Or do you live in the victory? Because that's what Jesus came to give. Let's pray together. God, thank you for victory. Thank you for hope. Thank you for life. Thank you that you paid for our sins, that you, Lord, did the ultimate thing for us that no one could have ever done, that we could never do for ourselves, and that is to to give ourselves hope because of what Christ did on the cross. Thank you, God, for that gift. Lord, I pray that today in this moment as we have the opportunity of making decisions, whether in the room or watching by television, God, I pray that you would give us the opportunity right here, right now, in this place, that we would understand the truth of the gospel, that God loves the world, and that he gave his only son, and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, no matter what I've done, no matter how I've lived, and he was buried, and he rose again. And as Romans chapter 10 tells us, that if we believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, that anyone who calls on his name will be saved. God, I pray right now that there's someone in this room, someone watching, someone listening that has never done that, make this the moment that they finally come to the realization they're a sinner like we all are in need of a savior and that Christ is the only one that can save. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to sing together, Scott's going to lead us. Our altar is open. We have team members that are gathered here that would love to talk with you, pray with you, share with you who God is and what God has done. And so as we do, if God is speaking to you today and you're here and you've never accepted Christ, never believed in who Jesus is, listen, stop waiting. Like at least come down here and the the power of God that brings you to this altar and say, listen, I want to know more about Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I were lost and I heard a story about how someone died for me, that he paid for all of my mistakes and all of my sins, and that he rose again. And if I would believe in him, that I would have the promise of eternal life in a real place called heaven, rather than spending eternity in a real place called hell that is sorrowful and and suffering that is eternal. Like, I would at least want to say, hey, tell me about that. And so if you're here today and you want to know about that, man, I encourage you come down and talk with one of our team members. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, share with you who Jesus is. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and pray on your own. I pray that God would give you like the strength to, to experience that faithfulness that only God can give. So whatever it is that God is telling you to do, whatever God is speaking to you in this moment, this altar is open. I just encourage you to respond to what God is calling you to do. So let's stand and let's sing together. The altar is open. Let's step out now. Scott. You give life. You are love, 
You bring light to the darkness you give hope You restore every heart that is broken Great are you, Lord It's your God, today we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the gift that you've given of salvation in your name. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn the gift of your son Jesus on the cross. But God, we're grateful you gave it anyway. So Lord, I pray that we would live forever being thankful, grateful for what Christ has done. God, that we would remain faithful to the truth of your word. That we would stand firm no matter what we might face, the attacks that might come. And that God, because of that, we rejoice today because that faithfulness, because of what you've done in our lives, God, you've given us deliverance. You've given us the hope of heaven. And God, today we just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done. But thank you, God, also for what you have yet to do. Use us today as we go out into a world that's lost and dying and going to hell. Lord, give us the burden, the passion, the heart to tell people about you, to point people to the truth of the gospel as the only hope for the world. God, use us today. Even though we don't deserve to be used, God, use us. And God, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory for the impact that will come. Because we simply say, God, here we are. Send us. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar remains open. Our team will remain here. We'd love to talk with you. Encourage you to come on down and talk with us. God bless you. I pray that you have a great, great day, a great, great week. Go out there and let people know about Jesus. We'll see you next time. I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask Him to save you today. Now, if you'd like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you about that information. I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen. It's pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. If you'd also like to help contribute to our ministries, we take this message of the gospel around the world. Go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. Help us let people know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and that we can find hope in Jesus.